Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today we are recording episode 120. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. This was published in 2020. The title is A Gift from Adversity and by Jury, J-U-R-I, Love. And the subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. It's available on Amazon, so please check it out. After I published my book, I got a lot of messages from all over the world. And last year, I felt very compelled to start this podcast and a platform where people can come in and talk about adversities. But not only that, how they overcame some of the tools that they used to overcome and the gift that came from it. So let's invite today's guest. Hello, Monica. Thank you very much for coming in to A Gift from Adversity today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we get to uh, we get started for the questions, can you tell our audience who you are, where you're coming from, and if you have any social media or website that you want to shout out? Yeah, so I'm Monica Morrissey. I live in Vermont in the U- United States. And I, um, let's see, is uh, at Dimes from Heaven. It's a Facebook group, and that's where I'm most active. My website is monicalmorrissey.com, double R, double S, E, Y. And I consider myself a spiritual soul guide in my work. Thank you very much. So let's dive into first question, which is it's the adversity. So can you tell our audience, what was your adversity? So my biggest adversity was being a super sensitive person and not understanding my spiritual gifts. This affected my life in many ways. I turned to drugs and alcohol when I was young and I moved, was able to move past that. But um, be, just being super sensitive and not understanding what it meant to be an empath. And what else happened? You kind of mentioned about the alcohol and stuff, but um, I read your bio a little bit and you lost some family members as well. Yes. So um I lost both of my parents within eight months of each other, and it caused me to uh, kind of spiral a little bit and trying to understand my life now that I didn't have my parents and trying to reflect back to like, okay, who am I? And what, you know, what was my family really like? Um, You know, when I was young, it was a challenging home to grow up in, even though on the outside, everything looked okay. And that was just really hard when I lost both my parents that kind of came up for me, like, well, wait a minute, like, who am I now? And without my parents. And you had mentioned you lost your niece or nephew. Oh, yes. And that's what sent me on this journey. Um, 
lost my nephew when he was 21 years old and it was a shocking death and it was one that I wasn't prepared for. It was one of those where you get the phone call and they're gone and there's no time to process it. And as a young mom, I was trying to help understand that. And that was a very difficult process for me because when I was young, when somebody died, it was just over and done with. Like we didn't even talk about the words. Um, my my uh, grandfather died two weeks before I was born and my mother never even really talked about him at all. So I really don't know him, but I know that those things affected me in, in deep ways. Talk to us a little bit about being way too much of the empath and the special. How is it different than other people? So I can pick up on um, other people's feelings. And what I didn't understand was that I was actually taking them on and thinking that they were mine. And I didn't understand that when I was around somebody, I was mirroring what they were perceiving or thinking. And so once I was able to uh, come to terms with like, what does this mean for me? And what do I have to do to take care of it? Um, I was able to understand it more. So I didn't even have this understanding because I was so in the academia world. I was in public education for 32 years. So I was in, you know, the, the linear part of our brain and I wasn't really understanding all of the feelings that go along with this lifetime. And tell me about the addiction that you had experienced. Um, what was it like to be... Um, empath but addicted like you know how how did it fall in that that path yeah so when I went to college my first year my parents had kept me very sheltered so when I went to college my first year it was just like this big wide world and you know everybody was drinking and at that point um, the drinking age was 18 so a lot of you know there was a lot of drinking and drugs going on and I used it to numb myself because I didn't know how to feel my feelings and I didn't know how to reach out to people. I didn't know how to talk to people. I was lost in this world and the drugs and the alcohol just sort of numbed me. And um, that continued on for several years. I am actually 24 and a half years sober this year. And um, I know that I had to do that for myself and for my kids because I didn't want my kids to grow up with you know, an alcoholic mother um, who was numbing just to try to feel good. We'll talk about how you overcame with that, but let's talk a little bit about um, addiction uh, because a lot of my guests uh, who came and talked about addiction, um, these are the stigma. Uh, a lot of people don't want to talk about it, and especially if it was a long time ago. But some of them are very publicly open and then want to bring more awareness. What do you think was the biggest problem of you uh, being addicted to substance? I know you kind of mentioned about being special, like, you know, kind of skills and empath and stuff. But overall, I just covered the story about um, opioid epidemic, where in Massachusetts, I'm not sure about Vermont, but since 2015, over 14,000 people died 
from over uh, accidental overdose. So what would you say to the epidemic? Well, I think that um, a lot of the problems are from uh, are stemming from this under this people not understanding that we are spiritual people, uh, spiritual in in certain ways, and that we are just focused on reading and writing in schools, and that that is really hard because then it's this judgment of whether or not you're smart or you're not smart, and people are not good about themselves. And I want them to feel good about themselves. I want them to love themselves in a more in a deeper way. Um, that, that's why I actually started writing was I wrote my story and I shared that part of my life. And I felt that in my position, you know, of being a teacher, sharing that part of me was very vulnerable. And it was, it was a struggle to share that because I was embarrassed. There's a lot of shame that goes along with it. And so just by, you know, putting that into my story of trying to find, you know, what this life is all about, I hope that it helps some other people. Yes. Um, so do you remember any feelings um, when you are being addicted to this substance, like, you no, know, mentally, do you re recall anything? Oh, I have to do this. I have to numb myself. Um, you know, yes. it's fun. And or were you completely like distraught? Or like, do you remember any of those memories or not really? So the biggest thing that I say about when I was drinking, I'm sorry, I lost your voice. I can't hear you. I cannot hear you. Now you're muted. Okay. How about um, now? Here. Yes, now I can hear it. So um, I can fix the audio part after we leave the studio. Um, so let's um, pick it up from where we left, if that's okay. Yeah. So I, I so, consider it. Uh, let, me, let me ask. Um, so do you remember any feelings um, of maybe distraught or have to do this? maybe sense of urgency, depression. Um, do you recall any of those mental stage? So yes, I was definitely depressed, but I also felt that the, the drugs or the alcohol or whatever that I was doing gave me the confidence. And so it made me feel better. And so that I, cause I wasn't comfortable in my own skin and so when I was drinking, it was like I could go do anything and I could take on the world and it was fine. 
But of course, then you get up the next day and you're not fine and you're regretting all those decisions that you made. Um, but I had to, um, I, I want. So it's got frozen. I don't know what happened. She left. Hello, you were frozen. Okay, sorry about that. Can yes. you hear me? Yeah, it's very uh, robotic. Okay, let me try something. Maybe that will help. Okay. So um, I can definitely fix the audio part of it. And uh, unfortunately, the video part of it uh, is going to be stored as is. But uh, let's pick it up one more time. Um, so do you remember any mental stage uh, when you were like being uh, kind of addicted to this substance? Yes, I was very fearful of what other people would think of me. And I was always like on edge and my body didn't feel right. Like I didn't feel good in my skin and I didn't know how to talk to anybody or get close to anybody. And so if I drank, then I would just, you know, feel free to be me. But it took me a long time to come to terms with like who I am. I was just so fearful of either getting in trouble or saying the wrong thing or doing something wrong. And that, you know, went back to my childhood from when you know, I was always afraid of getting in trouble and I was always the quiet, shy person. And um, is there any other adversity that you went through that you want to share with our audience? So writing really is what helped me discover like who I was and understand myself more. And I really encourage people to pick up a pen to um, try to, try to get more in touch with who they are. Yes. So um, if you have more story about adversity, I'd be happy to share, um, have a space. But if not, we can move on to the tool part, which you kind of mentioned about the writing. Is there anything that you left that you want to answer or not really? Um, I just, there's a part of me that just wants to share that my brother is an addict and we've kind of lost him. And, um, so I guess it kind of fuels me to, you know, share my story so that others know that there is a way to get out because, you know, we've really lost my brother. And so, um, that is just kind of what inspires me to share my story and to share like how, you know, getting sober mm -hmm. really helped me, you know, get my life together and that it is a way of life and it's black and white for me. 
were you very close with your brother? We, you know, we were very, you know, I mean, he's four years older than me and we were close in many ways. Um, but right now he, I mean, he does have a place to live. He has a roof over his head, but we're, we don't have contact. Um, usually about every year we hear a little blip, you know, we just heard a couple weeks ago that he was in the hospital. Um, I have a really good relationship with him still, even though he's mentally not with us, um, functionally, like he is not, you know, able to understand things, but he knows who I am. And I always tell him that I love him. And I always, you know, if I can, I bring him food or I bring him something that he needs. I, you know, if I hear that he's in the hospital and I know where he is, I will go find him. Um, but I want other people to know that life can be different if you want to walk away from something like this and not go down his path that he went. And I believe it's because he's so sensitive too. And so he was numbing himself too, because he couldn't handle his thoughts either, just like me. So I think a lot of times, I just want to go back a little bit. Well, as a, I'm a journalist, and I've written many hard news and many social issues. And a lot of times people misjudge people. People don't understand, um, like people who are, you know, in addiction world, how did it happen? Like stigmas. But then I feel like in 2023, there are more understanding and compassion, especially after the pandemic. But when you are going through it about two decades ago, were there a lot of talks? Were there a lot of um, compassion around it, around addiction? Or was that a huge stigma, like around workplace, around relationship or families? It was a huge stigma. I was a teacher for elementary school. And here I am, you know, going, getting up in the work, putting on my mask and, you know, showing up for work and telling the kids, oh, don't do drugs, don't do, you know, don't drink too much, you know, and all these things. And meanwhile, I was struggling emotionally, mentally, um, myself. And so there wasn't a space for me to really share at that point. It was very secret, very quiet. I did it, you know, in the privacy and even when I told some people, you know, I think I'm an, I think I'm an addict. I think I'm an alcoholic. And they would be like, no, 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 you're not. And I'm like, that's, first of all, that's not for you to decide. And second of all, you don't know what I'm doing at night. And so just, you know, admitting that and then having somebody tell you, no, you're not like, it wasn't very supportive. I did have some support around, um, but it was a challenging time. And especially, I feel like a woman um, that, you know, the people perceive that a lot of times I would say addiction is majority problem for men. And then, you know, women supposed to be a perfect example of being a mom especially being a teacher, 
those are like such like stigma not only stigma pressure and expectations and that you cannot fall you cannot like even if you're falling you cannot say because of you are female and then you are not minority and you know people expect you to be a certain way because of your race and did you feel that kind of pressure like you know um oh my gosh I had to be perfect yes I for sure and my uh my parents owned a prominent business in town and so there was definitely this stigma of like you know, don't embarrass the family, you know, like we, you know, we have a lot of customers and, you know, we don't want you to embarrass us. And, you know, that was my whole like childhood, just trying to make sure that like, I didn't, you know, shame the family in any way, shape or form. And so, yes. And that, and that's part of the reason that I shared my story was that to show that we all struggle because I, you know, I was an administrator to seven schools, and when I was in public education, a couple just a couple of years ago, and so sharing my story was really daring to, you know, to face this and say like, this is who I am, and this is how far I've come, and to show that, you know, it's that, and to get rid of that stigma that we all, you know, that I just had it easy, you know, like I just got here, you know, like. I I didn't have to work for what I have, you know, like I wanted to show like, no, I have been struggling my whole life with this negative voice inside my head. I've been so fearful. I've been running on fear my entire life. And I just wanted to share that so that maybe somebody else could say, oh, okay. So like I can get out of this and I wanted to inspire others. Interestingly, so as I mentioned at the beginning, my book title is Overcoming Child Sex Abuse, Domestic Violence, Homeless, and Bullying. Now, I went to this um, motivational speech gig. This is way before pandemic to female uh, former inmates who are mm-hmm. trying to rehabilitate into the community. I was just hired to be there. So I shared my story and then one of the client said oh I didn't think the Asian people would go through that and it was like very interesting comment and I feel like certain ways like I mentioned it to you that people don't expect you to go Mm -hmm. through adversity addiction um you know self-doubt because you look perfect from outside like maybe Asian maybe there's like a rich Asian or like perfect life or something but you know sometimes i think that came from black female and that you know kind of like put me to the perspective wow if you're in certain ways and gender that people just expect you to especially be super perfect on time and everything you know oh yeah that was me in school check off the boxes i wanted the a i wanted to make sure that i was doing everything that you know i was supposed to be doing and it was like it was almost like that, that um, drove me into like, oh, no, what if I screw up? What if I get something wrong? It, that perfectionism and that people pleasing 
was totally my whole story. And people don't talk about the cause itself of addiction and then don't dive into, dig into why. And I feel like, say, marriage relationship as well for female and, you know, being addicted to some substance as well, that we as a female, especially, like have so much of social expectation that we mother kids, we marry, and then we take, you know, hold on to perfect household. So that is extra pressure. I would definitely agree with that. Well, thank you, Monica, for being very vulnerable and honest, and then really shedding a light to the stigma. I truly believe in conversation, and I truly believe in destigmatizing these issues to help others. So let's move on to another segment, which is the tools. So I like this part of the podcast the best because obviously you can talk about adversities and what had happened all day long, but I want to bring the survivor and the healers and then recoveries that truly experienced adversity to tell us what are the best tools that worked for you, that helped you to get to who you are. If you can share that with us, that'd be great. So the biggest one is writing. So when I put pen to paper, I never expected to write a book. And I I just didn't expect it. I actually didn't want to write because I was too embarrassed. I didn't want anybody to know what was going on in the hair. And so just getting my thoughts down on paper, and a lot of it was pretty messy. And But that stuff had to come out. It had to come out of me somehow. And talking about it just wasn't enough for me. And when I put pen to paper, I really started to make more sense of things. And it was like this big release um, through the pen. And when you write from with a pen and paper, it's coming from your subconscious is helping you versus just your, you know, your brain. And so your soul starts to talk to you. And so when, when you do that, it's really fascinating. And so that was one of the biggest tools. Um, but just looking in the mirror and telling myself that I love myself was huge. I couldn't do it at first. I was lying. Like I lied to that mirror for so many years. And then finally it started to sink in. And so when you can love yourself for who you are, it changes your life. But it took a lot of deep work. And I'm not talking just doing it, you know, here and there once in a while. I'm talking about doing it every day and giving yourself a high five right in that mirror and saying, you know what, you're doing the best you can. Yesterday is yesterday. You're going to leave it behind and I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to be better today than I was yesterday. And when I started to really embrace that is when I really started to heal. Is is there any other tools that you can share with us? Embracing my spiritual gifts So this is a lot of what I teach right now. I do Reiki. I do Reiki. And I also teach people 
how to tune into their spiritual gifts. So we all have five senses that we learned in kindergarten, our, our smell and our sight and all those things. And But we also have those in the spiritual world. And once I was able to tune in and understand those gifts, then I was able to understand myself better, which helped me heal more. Well, thank you so much, Monica. Um, and then I just want to know a little bit about your spiritual journey that um, you mentioned in your bio that you do different things these days. What are the things that you use? Um, yes. Yeah. So my business is called Intuitive Wellness, and I I consider my work soul care. I, a lot of people are talking about self-care these days. I like to talk about soul care. I do soul care through teaching people how to use Reiki in their daily life. Um, I do Reiki sessions online or in person. I do dream analysis. I do past life work. And all of these tools helped me heal and helped me in my spiritual journey. And I write about signs of the afterlife. And they're all based on my dad after he passed and the signs that he has come through with so many different ones. Say that website again. My dad comes oh, through. Sorry, my, uh, your website. Oh, my website, Monica L Morrissey.com. So just like Mia, um, name right here, Monica L Morrissey.com. Yes. Got it. So people, please tune into Monica Um, So Monica, my last question for you is a gift that came from your adversity. So can you tell us what was um, the gift that came from your adversity? Um, I would say just living this life now in a different way, that living a more spiritual-based life, um, and the, and people coming up to me and sharing that their story, my story helped them. I think that that, when somebody sends me like a little, um, nugget or a sign that they got from their loved ones, that has helped inspire me to keep sharing. Well, thank you so much for coming to A Gift from Adversity. I really appreciate you sharing your journey. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for tuning into another episode of A Gift for Adversity. See you next time.